chapter one, take two, two. What's Mrs. Coulter doing now? He'd say, and her hands would move at once. And he'd say, tell me what you're doing. Well, the Madonna is Mrs. Coulter, and I think my mother, when I put the hand there, and the ant is busy, that's easy, that's the top meaning, and the hourglass has just got time in its meaning. And part way down, there's now, and I just fix my mind on it. And how do you know where these meanings are? I kind of see them, or feel them rather, like climbing down a ladder at night. You put your foot down and there's another rung. Well, I put my mind down and there's another meaning, and I kind of sense what it is. Then I put them all together. There's a trick in it, like focusing your eyes. Do that then and see what it says. Lyra did. The long needle began to swing at once and stopped, moved on, stopped again in a precise series of sweeps and pauses. It was a sensation of such grace and power that Lyra, sharing it, felt like a young bird learning to fly. Father Coram watched from across the table, noted the places where the needle stopped and watched the little girl holding her hair back from her face and biting her lower lip just a little, her eyes following the needle at first, but then when its path was settled, looking elsewhere on the dial. Not randomly, though. Father Coram was a chess player, and he knew how chess players looked at a game and play. And expert players seemed to see lines of force and influence on the board, and looked along the important lines and ignored the weak ones. And Lyra's eyes moved the same way, according to some similar magnetic field that she could see and he couldn't. <laughs> Thank you, Bex, for doing that reading. For our, regular <laughs> <laughs> for our regular listeners, if you don't recognise Bex's voice, it's because she's never been here before. Yeah, mm. we got a special guest this week. You're special. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for participating. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a big ask or anything to ask someone to read an entire novel and then watch a film and then review it. That's, no, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> if, you've, if you've never listened to the podcast before, this is Chapter 1, Take 2. It's a book-to-movie podcast review. This week we are doing The Northern Lights, or as it's known in the US, The Golden Compass, which is part of His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Yeah, he's such a good writer. He's amazing. Mm. This is amazing. My brother introduced me to the series when I was 12, and I knew then that it was amazing, but rereading it at 26, it just is a whole other level of appreciation for me, mm. because, I've, because I've read so many other books that have been garbage, and this is like... <laughs> Just literary genius. Yeah, I think revisiting it, because I probably read it when I was about 12 as well, is so much more exciting because you see like hidden depths that maybe you didn't see when mm. you were reading it when you were younger. Yeah. I only read it as an adult. My mom got it for me one once when I was sick. I was sick, not six. I was sick. And my mom <laughs> brought me home a book because I love to read. And I, I don't know, I didn't know enough about it. And I was just like, oh this doesn't seem interesting and so I, I never I never read it sure and well, that's the thing about regrets. books isn't it you literally don't know until yeah. you like read a chapter in and then you're like oh this is great or oh this is terrible yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely for sure and Philip Pullman is incredible if you if you like this book and you hated the movie 
Uh, Join the club. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I was going to say is he has a collection of essays called Damon, uh, Damon Voices that's absolutely incredible. It's such a good read. Um, and includes uh, the introduction to some editions of the Northern Lights. Yeah, that's awesome. A quick summary of the book. As written by the lovely Brianna. I'm Maddie, by the way. Thanks for listening. Lyra lives in a world where human souls take a physical form as a demon. <laughs> I always used to say Damon. Me too. Mm, yeah. Because it's yeah. how it's, yeah. it's, it looks like it's spelled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she learns that there are other worlds and a mysterious particle called dust, with a capital D, that the church wants to keep secret. Yes, the church, not the magisterium. It's about religion. Her community is plagued by the mysterious gobblers who kidnap children when Lyra's friend Roger is taken and Billy. She goes on a journey to find him and learn about dust, the other worlds and her own... And her own world. Her own world. Oh, and her own world, sorry, yep. With the help of the Egyptians, Lee Scoresby, an aeronaut, York Bernison, and a fascinating device, the alethiometer, which knows the truth and, of course, her daemon, Pan. It's a very good, it's a very good summary, yeah. there, Yeah, but yeah. I forgot to mention Seraphina Piccola. Yeah, there's some awesome witches, Sorry. and also Seraphina Piccola. Yeah, there's some witches, and there's Lord Asriel and Mrs. Coulter, who are like, yeah, but they're gross villains. They're not. They're complicated. They're well-rounded villains. Well, they are. I feel as though in the book they were, but in the, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, I think Nicole Kidman does show some of the depth of the fact, like she does. Love yeah. Lyra. Yeah, she's cruel, but she wishes she was better kind of thing. Yeah, she's a toxic love for Lyra yeah, She's a toxic love for herself. <laughs> There's a bit in the film where she slaps her golden monkey demon, and sure. then oh, it's just real violent. Mm. I feel as though the film almost wanted to kind of polarise things into, like, good and evil. Yes. Yeah. And it's so much more complex than that. Yeah, it always is. And films, as you said before we started recording, the... Directors never give the audience enough credit. But th- th- that's the point, that good and evil is more complex than that. And Absolutely. That's what Philip Pullman is saying. tries to divide it and this is a good thing and this is a bad thing. Dust is a is a bad thing mm. because it's Because it takes away your innocence. Yeah. 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 And makes you, yeah. And exactly that's the problem. The like, that kind of thinking is the real evil in the book. Mm. Dangerous. Mm. Free um, will. And not just in the book, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in our world. <laughs> It's almost um, like he's talking about real life themes yeah. in society. <laughs> I hate it when people bring real life themes into books about fantasy. I don't. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, Philip Pullman discusses that exact topic in his book, Demon Voices, just in case you're wondering. Mm. Yeah, you've read that in your topic. It was really good. <laughs> it was really good. Um, so this movie was directed by Chris Weitz. Hmm. You tell him, yeah, tell us what- you had an interesting fact. Yeah, uh, it says in this the the fun fa- the trivia the trivia part of IMDb, which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, you, every time this is side note. Every time Brie and I come back from watching a film, like last night when we saw saw Toy Story Four, first thing we're doing at home, scrolling through IMDb for the trivia facts. I'm I didn't like, even finish it. There were wanna, too many. I want to go to bed, and Brie's like, "No, I want to read the trivia." <laughs> I need to know these things. <laughs> Toy Story Four is important. just so you tell me later. Did you know? Did you know? I'm like, I do now. So Chris White's actually had quite a few creative differences from New Line Cinema, so much so that uh, when he was originally asked to do the film, he accepted, and then 
left and New Line Cinema hired a new director, but they also left because of creative differences and Chris Weitz was brought back on. Ooh. Yeah, he um, he had a, an original script that was uh, more closely close to the book, and it was also slower paced, so there was more world and character development. Um, the pacing was way off in the film, and uh, and then they Why scrapped they it because they pandered to the audience, and also um, Chris White's original script included more references to the uh, the religion, the religious aspect. Mm. So. Because what was the other films he's done? He did... The American Pie. Yes. Films. Weird. About a Boy. You About a Boy. Right? About a Boy's Mr. Great. and Mrs. Yeah. Smith. Oh, yeah. That's um, fun. That's a fun film. It's one of those films that I stumble across. And I'm like, oh, it's on TV. I'll watch it. But I don't even seek it out. I've, I think I've maybe seen parts of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I've definitely... This is basically the beginning of Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's relationship. <laughs> yeah. um, I've definitely seen... I've seen American Pie. Um, he's also done Rogue One. The Star Wars one. The Star Wars one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. He's done a bit. He's done quite a bit, actually. Mm, yeah. I. It's so frustrating because it was a similar thing. Not similar because it's not the director, but, you know, the author of um, Percy Jackson had, like, input, being like, my books have been well-received because of the way I've written them. I'm giving you this advice to the production company. And they're like, Nah! I don't know we don't why want to listen. production companies have not learned the lesson that if you deviate too far from a book, you will alienate your core audience. Yeah. Because the people who go to see the film are probably people who enjoyed the book. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and what's disappointing with this particular book uh, to movie adaptation is that they had such good bones. They yeah. had good actors. Some A fantastic. lot of the writing is pretty solid. Yeah, the fantastic of the budget. Film is great. Yeah, the look, it's so, it's exactly like. It's like a clean, shiny thing that it should be. You talk about, like, the underbelly of it, you know? It's like the darkness of peoples that ruin this, you know, alternate universe. And I kind of felt like I sat there thinking, like, I really want to be invested in this film and I really want to be enjoying it, but I'm not. I'm not connecting with it. Yeah, absolutely. You, mm-hmm. You're not connecting with the characters and the whole time you're just being taken out of it because you're like, they chose to do a weird thing there. That's not right. Why Why are they... At the beginning, when they, you know, do the voiceover, I'm like, I'm watching a film. Just let me watch the film. Yeah. Why are you explaining it to me before I've even seen anything? Yeah. Let it unravel yeah. as the characters discover what's, what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to tell us, Maddie, about the other facts, like when the film was published? And yeah, absolutely. All that good stuff? Oh, my fun stuff. I love numbers. This is one of See, you like things. facts as well. You just like different facts. Ab- completely fair feedback. That's absolutely valid. Yeah, so the novel um, by Philip Pullman, originally written in 1995, originally published then. Uh, the film wasn't made until 2007, um, which actually 12 years ago. It was a while ago. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like it, like as far as animation, as far as... Like, the budget of it. It looks really nice. Mm, yeah. It looks, yeah. Mm. Um, it's unfortunate that Raluna is so deeply rooted in American culture that we can't create a film like this that won't be... Offensive. Offensive. Yeah. 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 Uh, totally agree. Um, it didn't actually do that poorly. I thought it would have done worse. Like, the budget for the film was $180 million and a box office, $372 million. Well, it did well everywhere but America. Because <laughs> there was either the the fans of the book who hated it or religious people who were like, I'm a bit offended, but I don't know why. <laughs> uh, 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb. 
that's, that's generous. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, it depends. Well, IMDb will be doing it as a film in and itself. Yeah, definitely. But even that, it's like, the pacing is weird. At the beginning, mm. you jumps from like, action, 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 you're supposed to be invested. I'm like, I don't care what's happening. Yeah. I can't catch up. Yeah, but it's, it's not as bad as like, Aragon. 100%. That's, yep, still the only film of all time I've ever just stopped watching. It kind of just feels like a highlights reel. Really? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. You know, like you're watching it and it's kind of like, I don't know, you could be watching the trailer where you just see all these action-packed scenes, but there's nothing to connect them. And there's, you're, yeah. you're not going yeah. on a journey. You're just like... They just they yeah. start that's, that's really good. That's to do good. a few things. One of the best scenes in the movie that I think works so well is the scene where, um, at the very, very beginning, where Roger has been captured by the other... The Egyptians? Yeah, the Egyptians. And the, the dirt fight? I wrote literally my first note is opening sequence with kids is great. It is. Yeah. It's so I thought, solid. I was like, that's so cool. And the, I, I, I love this. One of the parts that I had thought we could read as the opening but ended up not doing it because it's too long is the entire chapter. Because the first chapter of the book... <laughs> I agree, it is too long, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the first chapter of the book, Lyra is hire, hiding in the, uh, the retiring room and she discovers... Oh, kind of, such a good... Yep. You know, you, you get thrown into the story quite quickly. And in the yeah, second yeah, chapter, so you get good. introduced to Lyra and who yeah. she is and yeah. her that's such Which, a, And it's such... It's so, it's so effective. But also, it was kind of like... Um, it was good, but I found it difficult to get into the book that way because you're just trying to... I found like I was just trying to find my bearings mm. and but I guess that's her understanding her world as well I don't mm. know I just I felt like yeah I didn't know who this person was who was being introduced to me because nothing's done to explain who she is or why she's there sure, but well, we you, kind of you... get the reverse of Lyra's perspective there because Lyra knows her world really well but she's sort of gotten this wedge that she can see like maybe one window pane of an entire window yeah, of she's... what's actually going on because yeah, she's been like a lot of information's been hidden from her. Yeah. yeah and obviously and she's, from everyone. Yeah, and she, but she's also seeing it from a child's eyes. Like, everything is a lot simpler, which I think is an underlying theme of the entire series. Mm. Until it gets well, yeah, one. innocence and, and sin and mm. all of that concept. I loved... Oh, my God. We'll come back to it, but now we'll come back to it. Are you going to talk about the bit where Mrs. Coulter is telling Lyra... About original dust. sin? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, just say Adam and Eve. Like, yeah. Just, what is wrong with you? I totally... Oh, when it was happening in the film, I was like... Just say Adam and Eve. That's exactly your, what they're talking about. Your Just, ancestors oh, yeah. made a decision that brought <laughs> dust into the world. Do you mean the apple and the Garden of Eden? I think that's what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, absolutely. Um, painful. <laughs> um, 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like I agree with that. Like, that's more where I'm at rather than the 6.1 with IMDb. Yeah, that's kind of all the facts I got. I really liked your facts about the director. Um, obviously, it's got Nicole Kidman and Lord... Oh, Daniel Craig, not Lord Ezra. Um, and Dakota Blue Richards as Lyra. So talented. Who yeah. did a great job. Strong. Like, those she actors found, are all such a big-name actors. She was found in the same way that Emma Watson was found. Like, in an open call audition. She just interviewed. She just auditioned. Yeah. No, I really like that. And I, um, I think she does a really good job. And I think there's just it's so odd because they like you said before they had all the right elements that could have made the film so much more but just the what they chose to do with it to slow mm. it down for everyone which yeah. is you know it's obvious that it failed because they never made a second or a third even though there's great material there for it yeah and it's exa- yeah it's same with aragon same with beautiful creatures well the film was better than the book <laughs> <laughs> moving on beautiful yeah okay yeah. <laughs> i think i think i can guess but let's do our um on a scale of one to ten how do we rate this film as an adaptation 
As an adaptation. As an adaptation. Mm, four mm. out of ten. Like it seems quite harsh. It seems I was going to go four as well. Yeah. 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 But I think, yeah, it is a bit harsh. But it, it's because as an adaptation, like if I'm reading the film itself, it'll be different. But the adaptation for me is four out of ten because, but I love the book. I finished the book. I listened to the audiobook and it was narrated by Philip Pullman and had all these amazing voice actors. And I was like, this is so entertaining and I'm so engaged. And then they make this film and it just slaps me in the face. And don't yeah. even get me started on how the film ends. Like, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But oh my God. Oh my God. I, I'm going to give it a 5.5 because... I'm doing this in context of the other books that we've reviewed this season. And when I compare... I totally feel I have a worse memory than you, so I'll just be like... Separating um, them all out. Yeah. When I com- <laughs> yeah. When I compare this adaptation to, like, both of the Percy Jackson adaptations... Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that they got the heart of so many things right. They got Lyra as a character right. Her spunk and her... Spunk's really good. Fierce. Fire. She's, yeah. yeah, she's, she's got a strong enough fire. Yeah, I I've always admired that about her character. That really, for me, really as a 12-year-old girl, I was like, yeah, I can be like fucking Lyra. Yeah. We swear on this podcast, by the way. And they got the, you know, the, the, the cruelty of uh, Mrs. Coulter correct. And I think um, in, in the moments that we see them, they got Mark Costa correct and Fata Coram. Um, and Lothar, Scoresby, and York Burnison. Like, they got so many of those things correct, whereas in other adaptations that we've seen, like, Percy Jackson, Annabeth is just... What is she? She's <laughs> typical fall girl. Like, what? she's awful. What are you? Yeah. What are you going to say? I feel like they did, they did get the characters right, but we. I didn't feel like I got enough of an opportunity to connect with those characters. Sure. And understand their perspective, empathise with them... Um, be taken on a journey with them because they were just characters. I would have appreciated fewer shots of them traveling. Like, I think there's a way in cinema with cinematography that you can say, like, let's go and then do a lighting change or something else to say they've moved. Mm. Um, that would have been more effective because what I really cared about was the story. Mm-hmm. And in this book, story and the world is is so important. Um, less so than the action scenes and the setting. Mm. But with you saying, like, reviewing it in relation to things like Percy Jackson, like, I'm, you know, we're still reading the series, even though we're not doing it for the podcast. So obviously I like them. But I think the caliber of a book is also different. So for me, having a better book, it needs to be a better film. Whereas sure. Percy Jackson is a bit simpler. And I so would say this is a better film than Percy Jackson, though. The film? Yeah. By itself? Yeah. As a standalone I, I film, expect, it's way more interesting. Yeah, than... I expect different things from them. Mm. Totally. But if I'm talking about the adaption, like Percy Jackson book, like I didn't think the second... Like, obviously, they um, deter a bit in some bits. They deter a bit? They introduced Lord Kronos yeah, in the second film. But didn't I say that I quite thought it... Like, I wasn't as offended as some people who reviewed it? Yeah, we had we both had an interesting thing where we both detested the first movie and didn't like the second. But yeah. a lot of people detested the second. second and, and thought the first was, you know, average. It but anyway, this isn't the book we're doing. This no, book. We're I'm just saying. Giving context. Okay. Yeah, giving context. So, it's like I haven't read <laughs> Do we want to talk about some of the ways that the the film deviates 
from the plot significantly. Oh, sure. where do we stay? Yeah. Where does it stay the same? I mean, there's still Lyra. There's still, like, they still have the same characters. Except okay, they... okay. I think you're being a little unfair. Alan Chanted? Yeah, that, but that's, but they made the film to be different. It wasn't, it wasn't like they tried to make it exactly I'm like just saying. I'm no, just saying. Sure, but Alan Chanted is, it is what it is. Well, fine. Again, <laughs> I feel like we're getting off topic. <laughs> this is good. This is why we're coming back. Keep us, yeah. So we could just do like bullet point. Yeah. All the things we've noticed. What was, what, what did you? Like, I can't remember now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess the technology is a bit different. Like, isn't it? And the opening scene with Lord Adriel is showing them, isn't it like slides? But for some reason in the film, he's got like a fancy globe. Well, yeah. I mean, it is cons- it is called a slide projector, but like... It's not talked about. They talk about lights, but it's an anbaric light. It's not electric. So it's, it, I think you could make the connection that the slide projector would also look different because mm. the technology that's u- using it is different. It's a different t- light source. Yeah. Isn't the technology in the book supposed to be a bit simpler, but they went quite for a shiny, different type of technology in the film? I think that... Or am it's... I just putting that because it's like, oh, it's Oxford. It must be old brick buildings and everything. I, I imagined it. Yeah. yeah. Because they have cars. They and, have... They, and they have, you know, hot air balloons. They have hot air balloons. They, have the, they do yeah. have technology. It's just the source. I think it's like... I think it's sort of like the difference between the universe that we live in and the one that steampunk live in. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a great, that's a great analogy. That's how I think of it. So I think there is still quite some very fascinating, but it, it's more mechanical and less computerized and mm, digital. Mm. Okay. Talking about that scene, a big, uh, well, a difference is that it is the master of Jordan College that actually is supposed to poison Lord Asriel's run rather than the guy from the Magisterium. Yep. And that's they make that guy out to be... A villain the whole way through, like the one of the villains, and overtly, yeah, yeah like, to, an like an archetypal kind of, yeah. And it's not that simple, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like the master of Jordan College did try to kill Lord Ezreal, and then later is like obviously I never it, felt good about it. It wasn't meant to be, yeah. but yeah, he did it for like, like it's another thing we've talked about. Good and bad is complicated. He did yeah. it for the right reasons, kind of thing. It's kind of like they've gone. Okay, this is this. It's too complex for an audience, so let's just pin everything on this one guy yeah. who is the bad guy, yeah. and he can represent what is bad. Yeah. And, and then it's like, oh, we don't relate to you at all because I'm not a bad guy, whereas doing it the other way would have been like, oh, yeah, like, We're you know, human. people's <laughs> motivations are different, and from your point of view, you are the good guy mm. in the story, and you do bad things, but to you, they're for the right reasons. And I could, I could understand how a church who believes that dust is the same thing as original sin would believe that severing a demon from a child and preventing them from getting dust is a positive thing. Mm. Because the fundamental issue with this is that Philip Pullman is saying original sin in and of itself is an incorrect idea. Like... Yes. Well, it is. Yeah. But, like, what I'm saying is, like... Objectively, as an atheist... You know, he's he's taking a very specific stance toward it. Um, yeah. And and that's that's the thing, you mm. know? But you don't see, like, the members of the Magisterium or uh, Mrs. Coulter acting out of fear. So you don't see that if that might be something that might be driving mm. their want to do this. Yeah, they're it's just all... kind of like, I've decided I'm going to do this. This is bad. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. This is my character in this world. Yeah. <laughs> there are only a couple of scenes in the book in which Lyra isn't present and awake f- 
for them. And there's one at the beginning uh, where some members of the uh, of Jordan College are discussing Lyra um, and other factors. And then there's either conversation between Lee Scoresby and Serafina Pekola. Mm, and she's asleep. And then there's a conversation between... It's her and him, Afar Decorum, and then someone else. And they're in a house, and they send her to a clothesline. And she's got to figure out which thing on the clothesline is a branch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a conversation about her. Oh, yes. Right, I see what you're saying there. About and how she's the, the subject of a one. prophecy. Yeah. But she can't know that the prophecy exists. Yeah, because she has to act. So there's like three world. conversations. The rest of it, we learn things at the same pacing that Lyra does. Yeah, and so you're, you know, you're following along with her. You have her. You have empathy because you're like, I am experienced this as Lyra experiences it. Yeah, and you see her level of understanding, or like how she perceives things as well, which I think is important. Whereas if you're just hearing them from other sources, you're not hearing how she's understanding and yeah. acting yeah. on them. A lot of the information came in weird ways to the audience. It, 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 all of the information that's received should have come in the same way that the book mm. gives it. Yeah. Um, uh, just, you know, moving on to, like, more specific bullet point differences. They capture the kids with the promises of food and, like... Mm. They win them over. Nice thing. They win them over. They I think that's a significant just, point. Just yeah. kidnap Because then, then otherwise the kids wouldn't come so freely and they'd be trying to constantly leave. Also, I think that there needs to be more of a discrepancy about like are they kind aren't they kind are the experiments unethical are they unethical it's very clear to the reader at every point that the experimenters are in the wrong but i think that it needs to not be clear to the people in the world that the experiments are necessarily wrong because some of the kids are like well i'm getting more food now than i would if i was on the streets and yeah. taste better because mm-hmm. they they're not, they're not all that upset about it not all of them are real keen to leave yeah no totally um, even when they're escaping, some of the kids, and even though they're afraid of the place, some of the kids are like, let's go back, it's warm there. Yeah, I don't want to die out here. Yeah. Oh, there's just like a, a world a world building thing that really frustrated me when Mrs. Coulter is picking up Lyra for the first time at the college and they're mm. having dinner. <laughs> That's super brave. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, hey, I'm here, you never met me. Hey, come home with me. Yeah. Mrs. Coulter wins Lyra over and then... The camera pans down and you see the golden monkey holding Pan. But Lyra would know if another being, any other being, was touching her demon. Yeah. and if she, It's and if part he, of her. Yeah. It's her soul. If, if, if Lyra gets hurt, Pan feels it. If Pan gets hurt, Lyra feels it. Yeah. That's and made he's clear. Like, he's writhing in the, in the monkey's hands. And that's another thing. I don't think the relationship between Lyra and Pan was really explored that much. Yeah, no. And that's such an integral part of yeah. I thought Pan is wrong. He isn't involved enough. I don't care yeah. enough. When Pan is about to be separated from Lyra, because yeah. their oh, relationship, that's just a <laughs> she doesn't have enough. Co- she has conversations more with every other character in the movie than she does with Pan, which is not accurate. Yeah, yeah. she's constantly true. talking to Pan. Yeah, because she likes to talk, and also she's literally just having discussions with her inner voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, she's talking to herself. I didn't like the scene where Lyra is with Mrs. Coulter. I. I didn't think that Mrs. Coulter did enough. You know, we didn't get enough of their relationship. I didn't they kind see of do a montage. Lyra yeah. become fascinated with Mrs. Coulter. The, 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 the very beginning part when they're first introduced and Mrs. Coulter stands up to the headmaster was great. I could see why Lyra would immediately latch onto that and mm. be like, oh, I want to be like her. Yeah. She gets to do what she wants to do and nobody tells her. But 
There needs to be more of Lyra being fascinated with the pretty things and the nice foods and the parties and feeling important and being important. Mm, and then discovering and, and feeding the her side. ego, yeah. Yeah. Because she does have an ego. She's got lots of pride. Yeah, and with that or that same point in the film, I missed the scene where Mrs. Coulter's giving Lyra a bath for the first time. Because yeah. in the book, that talks about how um, Mrs. Coulter tells Pan to look away. And that's like one of the first points that like shame is introduced yeah we had a conversation about this yeah. i thought it was fascinating because lyra says in the book she has never felt the need for pan to look away and pan had never previously felt the need to look away mm. and that to me is like you're taught that your body is sexualized and you're yeah. taught that being naked is improper mm. and even from yourself it's you not sh- something you, feel you uncomfortable. inherently know yeah, yeah. and it's, it's really interesting that for the majority of people you're demon is the opposite gender to you yeah except for some which i think is philip Pullman's way of talking about those who are gay or bisexual lesbians is some have the same gender demon yeah yeah but there's oh. much less of them he talks about it briefly with there's like one of the guys who works with egyptians on the boats and he has a demon who's also male hmm. but that's it make up on that um just because you're straight <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> kidding kidding you're great <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, you know, a huge difference was literally the order that they end the book in. So she goes to the Bear's Palace first, and Yorick fights the king to, you know, claim his throne. And then they go to um, Svalbard. Every- yeah. Everyone says Svalbard. You can't say Svalbard. You have to be like Svalbard. It's like Svalbard. <laughs> and then she goes there, and then they have, you know... The battle, and I guess you were talking about how it does make sense because the whole build is, whole film and book is reading up to that point, you know. It also makes sense considering they cut out the ending. So, <laughs> it wouldn't make sense if the bear fight happened afterward and they didn't have the ending. It would yeah. just be like, Where is this this? on. Yeah. yeah. So, if you haven't seen this, it would film, feel like a post credit scene that happens, in the, like, in, you know. Yeah, a bit of a spoiler alert. Instead of. Having an entire sequence where, um, and that's why Roger, they added the bridge. Roger, I forgot his name. Roger dies, and Lyra decides to head off to the other world. It literally just ends with, actually, quite a bit earlier in the book, where Lee Scoresby is flying with Serapina, Serafina, Piccola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were name. flying to Lord Azrael. No, originally they were flying to the Bear Palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But they, they've changed it up, so now yeah. they're flying to Lord Azrael. And then they're like, boom! And credits! And I'm like, bitch! What the fuck is this? <laughs> Just with the... Um, I get a bit enthusiastic. With the beers, uh, Yorick Bernison in the film Yorick. has been exiled because he lost a fight, which is dumb. Yeah, basically... If they you... got, fighting is a huge part of their culture, so they're telling me that every time a bear loses a fight, they get exiled? Yeah. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. If you're missing half your jaw, how are you going to fear on your own out there? It doesn't make any sense. No. In the book, Yorick Bernison gets exiled because he kills another bear. Yeah, over a, a mate. And it, I think they've taken out all of the deaths yeah. in that movie. If you're a good guy, you haven't murdered anyone. Yeah, because Billy Costa Billy, doesn't die. And it's not Billy Costa. It's but, not Billy Costa. Yeah, yeah. But the, Have you seen my... As soon as they introduced in the film, I was like, his demon's name's Brett. I'm like, no, it's not! It's not Billy! He's not <laughs> the guy that... 
I can, but I can forgive something like that because there are a ton of characters in this movie and in, in this book, uh, like a massive amount. So, for condensed sake, I can forgive that they cut out the the other little boy, and I can forgive that they cut out the professor that she meets in Svalbard, but. I can't forgive that they didn't kill Billy Costa. Yeah, he needs to die. Why are we so scared of death as well? Yeah. Who is, and I don't know, who is the target audience? Because is it children because it's are innocent children? and we must keep but children them that way. It's a book written for children. <laughs> it's all in the children, children don't experience death. When yeah. their parents die, they just go to a little farm. But but the it's okay for the bad guy to die. Mm. Yeah. Whatever so, they call it. And the for them to be murderers. Yeah, and that death is... Graphic, awesome. yeah, hard to watch with the jaw. Yeah, yeah, it is a graphic death. Yeah, it is, but it's good because that's how he dies. I think it's, but it's okay because it's against animals. So you know, yeah. animal yeah. violence is totally fine. Yeah, even yeah. if even if they're sentient beings who can talk. Exactly, and they have emotions and you know loyalty and that kind of thing. But it's fine. There, yes, no, totally. I think there's a weird mix of like deciding what isn't isn't okay for like religion or children to mm. see. And in reality, Brie and I have talked about this in another podcast. Like, children aren't morons. They obviously, lots of children have experienced all kinds of trauma. When did this film come out? To, the film, 2007. So, at this point, how many Harry Potter films have been released? I'll look that up now. Like, Great question. a fair few, at least mm. three. Mm. Yeah. So, why, why is anyone out there thinking that we won't sit through a two and a half hour, half hour film? Because they cut the ending out. Because of time, essentially. Do you think it was because of time? Or do you think it was because they just thought it was a better way to end the film? Well, yeah. they filmed more all the scenes. They did film all of the scenes. Oh. What? Yeah, they filmed all of the scenes and they hoped to put them in the sequel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Very presumptuous of you to think that'd be a sequel. <laughs> okay. So, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's slash Sorcerer's Stone, depending on where you are. 2001, that was released. Harry Potter... And the Chamber of Secrets, 2002, where we see legit death. Like, we see Moaning Myrtle's dead. Yeah, but we don't see her die. No. We don't see any character really 2004, die. 2004, Harry Sorry. Potter and... Until, four, until, until the fourth book. Yeah. Um, the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, there was all the way up to Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, 2007. So children have, like, seen some shit. And, and you see the characters processing those deaths as well. Yeah. yeah. Like Harry screaming about Sirius dying. And also re- your reflections on that afterwards and how they remember them and all those kind of things. And I think, I don't know, if you're going to make an adaptation of a book that involves all those things, do it justice. Yeah. It's so weird. What, film. And like, because Harry Potter is one of those series as well in the states that's a bit controversial because lots of parents who are religious don't let their children read it because of you know magic witchcraft magic being bad thou shall not suffer a witch to live Mm. and i just (laughs) set from the bible and i said but these and you know it's fascinating harry potter british the golden compass series the northern light series historic material series sorry what's the name what are we going to call it british you know what um what's a u.s but the church is still really heavily embedded in It totally is. But I think it's interesting UK that that's... Well. But it's almost like that is allowed to come out of there, whereas is it less okay for it to be written in the States? What's a good example of a series in the States that's got 
I don't know, most like British authors. Kate Atkins is also a British author. <laughs> anyway, I just think that's interesting. They're mm. both his type materials and Harry Potter is from a British author. Uh, yeah, so th- those are all big differences. Uh, the ending was I was very upset. I mean, I remember now... Have we talked about exactly what the ending difference is? We can. Because I remember seeing yeah. it in the film when it came out in 2007 because I was really pumped for this. Really pumped for this film. Just like I was for The Last Airbender. Destroyed my soul. And I, I was... Before we started playing it today, I was thinking... Why can't I remember the scene where... Roger dies. Yeah, Roger dies and Lord Asriel sees Lyra and he's freaking out and he's like, no, I didn't ask for you. I was like, why can't I remember that? And then you were like, before it even ended, you were like, wait, are they going to end it here? Because Lyra was saying some stuff and it was like the music... thrown to a close. Yeah, and you could tell like the music was starting to play and I was like, surely not. And then it ended! Yeah. Mm. Because in the book... Because it opens with the scene where Lyra is in the retiring room and the goblins are introduced later, mm. then it makes sense that the final scene is a callback to that. You see the city in the sky and the dust. So from the beginning, it has been about the city in the sky and the dust. The goblins are introduced and they're almost a distraction from Lyra getting to the north and going to the city in the sky with Lord Azrael. Mm. And um, it's, it's a really powerful scene because Lyra arrives to give... Lord Azrael, the alethiometer, which she's been trying to do since, like, the third chapter. Yeah. She thinks that's her mission. But and she knows but she's bringing Lord him. Azrael what she, he wants. What he but she something. doesn't know what that is exactly. She thinks yeah. she knows. She even says in the book, she's like, it must be the alethiometer. It must be. And then when she arrives, Lord Azrael is horrified. Yeah. Because he's been asking for a child. And sacrifice. He, a child to sacrifice. And he yeah. thinks that the universe has brought him Lyra and then Lyra saps aside and he sees Roger and everything's fine again and then <laughs> I can kill this kid because it's not mine and it's it's really great because in the beginning in that that scene where there are a few of the uh, scholars at Jordan College talking about Lyra and she isn't there they discuss that Lyra will have to betray someone yep. and she unintentionally betrays Roger mm. is there a betrayal in my mind if you don't do it intentionally. Well, but I. But if you've is... read the whole series, you know that that's actually a red herring and that the betrayal comes much later. Mm. But you think that that part of the prophecy has been fulfilled at this point. Mm. Anyway, yes. Yeah. And so then Ro- Roger gets indecision and his demon is cut and that releases an- enough power for Lord Azrael to be able to cross over into the other world. Mm. And I think it's a really important scene as well because it's not a dis- like your classic Disney movie. It's not a happy ending. It's not a fairy tale ending. It's, you know, it's not what she expected. And yeah, Philip Bowman was disappointed with the final cut. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and he, he quite appreciates darkness. He has his own collection of fairy tales where he's, he's rewritten um, different versions of uh, Hans Christian Andersen and the Grimm Brothers and a few other fairy tales and put them into a collection. Uh, that's really good. And he, he appreciates the darkness of them because they are dark. They are dark. And life is filled with darkness. Absolutely. And complexity. And, the, <laughs> and layers. Yeah. And different motivations. It's just... It's fascinating because the Chronicles of Narnia did very, very well in the US. And the religious allegory in that is is so significant mm. and not shied away from at all. And then if, if, if there's a religious allegory that goes in the other direction that criticizes the church, it's quieted because the church is so embedded 
in our society and in and in controlling us that the church essentially the church gets the very thing that the book is arguing against in america by uh by silencing it as a as an element mm. yeah no absolutely and it's uh you know it's one of the reasons that the film did so well i'm surprised it made so much because you know with making that kind of profit you could have made a second film but i think the backlash was so strong from both the lovers of the books and the well it was an american-made film is a problem and it didn't do well in america so why would america put money into something that's not earning them money (laughs) (laughs) yeah um what about as a as a film on its own so on a scale of one to ten how would you mark the film on its own I found it really hard to separate the fact that it was a terrible adaptation from <laughs> honestly, because I just sat there not allowing myself to enjoy it almost. Yeah. So it's hard to yeah, it's hard to separate those things. Definitely. Um, well, if we're thinking of films that Brie and I have done over the season, um, it'd probably be more like a six out of ten, just because I really appreciate the level of acting and the way it looks visually and there are some really great lines some great cgi yeah mm-hmm. some great like i love yeah. the way the demons look and i think you know it yeah it just it felt it falls short of what it could have been and i think that's more frustrating for me than anything because they had the elements of something yeah. really great there so definitely yeah. they had everything they needed to do it right yeah. they had yeah. the budget they had but the they actors. just were afraid yeah. and yeah. that's you know art isn't supposed to be safe no, you know? and I just—if you're going to make a film, if you've got 180 million dollars, commit to the fucking concept, please. Well, the thing is, is that they made this film, and I, and they did this with Percy Jackson, and they're doing it with Artemis Fowl now, and what they're doing is they're saying we want to make a big million dollar franchise like Harry Potter, like Lord of the Rings, like Star Wars, and that's the goal that they're setting out with. Mm. They want a, a franchise that's going to reap them hundreds of millions of dollars. Hunger Games. Was it, was it American? Yep. Yep. Mm. That's the series that they wrote and did really well. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really good example. And they yeah. had a shit ton of death in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Commit to the concept. Okay, okay, yeah. But technically, Hunger Games is a young adult novel. Rather than a child's. No, rather yeah, than children's is, is this children's? Is this young adult? This, 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 fits, this, this fits into children's yeah. fiction. Philip Pullman talks mm. about that in his book, Demon Voices. It's a lot I'm just, for a I'm child just plugging Demon Voices. Sure, but so... Book. But that's the thing, like, it's written in a way that if you are a child and it's, like, too dark, you just won't get it. Like, for me, in the third book, I'm pretty sure there's, I think, a sex scene. But when I read it when I was 12, I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. And so, like, I don't even remember that. But my mm-hmm. brother, when I asked him about it, he's like, oh, they have sex. Like, that's why their demons settle. And I was like, what? I don't think they have sex. But I think... It's it's more intimate than I realized because because oh, yeah. I totally agree. Like you don't want to freak kids out if you're not ready for something. But I think if you're a child and you read it, you just don't get it. Yeah, you just see that surface level. Yeah, I would say they they feel a certain level of horm- hormonal attraction to each other and they will cuddle and maybe kiss. But I don't think they have sex. They're thirteen. In the last book. Yeah. I thought they were like older. Than Isn't that. she eleven? I don't think it's just year by year though. Okay. It's, it's not like a maybe term. maybe I don't know. It happens really quickly. We'll, we'll read it because because of this, I really want to finish reading it. But we'll read it and we'll see. But okay. But my point, my point was that like I was agreeing with Bex. Like if it's too dark, it really shouldn't be a child's film. But it's not because it's, it's not like children because they just talk about like the demons being cut into a child. They're like, oh, that, 
that's not a bad thing. Yeah. I don't I don't get that. Whereas if you're an adult reading it, you're like, that's a big deal. But if ch- but children are also way more capable of understanding things. Like I was saying, and handling things. As I was saying before, you know, we we're out here pretending like children don't encounter death and don't need books where children encounter death to help them learn to deal with with the real life experiences they have. Mm. Lots of children lose their parents. Lots of children lose friends. Mm. They, you know, they lose aunts and uncles and and cousins and grandparents. And, and grandparents. Definitely, and I they think experience death. <laughs> lots of children experience yeah. death from a young age. Could this be one of the reasons that as adults, lots of people can't handle death because they've never, you know, they've never had to, like been talked to it in a way that's like you know if you're exposing it oh this is getting into a dangerous you know, the bible is extremely graphic okay. mm, that's true <laughs> the crucifixion terrifying it's terrifying you know yeah, so i yeah. mean and philip pullman talks about that a lot in his book demon voices he he is frustrated at being pigeonholed into um the category as a children's author because he doesn't write just for children he doesn't write with children necessarily in mind even though his books tend to to focus on, mm. like, to star what's, children. What's the prequel he wrote to the Dark Materials? What's it called? Dust. Is it called Dust? Yes. And I think maybe one of the reasons <laughs> why, why it's so clever is because maybe children read Oh, it. no, it's called La Belle Sauvage. Or maybe it's called Dust. I'm going to grab it. You, t- <laughs> you, t- you tell your thing and tell us what you rated it as. Yeah. Um, maybe children reading it can relate to the concept of d- dust just as dust. Yeah. And they don't need to see a deeper meaning beyond that. But if you're reading it and you're Yeah, they might, might be like dust is like wisdom. Yeah, you or know? dust is just du- like dust, you know, just for the physical thing. Depending how is. young they are. But like yeah. I would imagine most of the books kids reading this book are about twelve, thirteen years old. They're plenty old enough to understand the concepts. Yeah. hmm You know, I read Hatchet when I was twelve. That's a dark book. The Giver, also dark. <laughs> yeah, read that when I was twelve. Um the book Animal is called thirteen. Yeah. The Book of Dust, which is a prequel uh, to his dark materials and it's amazing. And there's a really good Is scene. a series called The Book of Dust or yeah, the book is called volume La Belle one. Sauvage. Oh, vo- a volume it's one. Book of Death, volume one. Okay, La Belle okay, Sauvage. Okay, 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 okay. And um, you should read this once you finish reading it. But there's a really good scene um, where, like, there's a, a girl who's raped in this, and oh. but as a as a child, because he's it's he doesn't he doesn't graphically describe it, mm. but a young boy comes up to try and help her. And it just describes her as splayed out on the steps or something. But you you know as an adult what's mm. happened. But as a kid, you were like, oh, she's just lying there. Mm. And there's obviously something has happened to you. So I think it's, yeah, it's really, it can be done. And it's totally, it doesn't have to be kids' books. But yeah, Philip Pullman talks about how we can't just box children in. Because then if something does happen to them, they can't vocalize it. They can't tell us when something is wrong because they don't know that, what it is or yeah. how to explain it. You need to give them the language so and they can ask for help when they need it. Children mm. that I feel, Can you tell I feel strongly about this? <laughs> children do deal with those things. Yeah, absolutely. They need to be able to ask for help. Yeah. Mm. What did you rate it out of 10? Yeah, 6. 6. 6. 6.5, maybe. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful film and the acting is stunning. Yeah, it's like, real pretty. The Dakota, Dakota Richardson, Dakota Blue Richards, Dakota Blue Richards. She is a fantastic name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's she's fantastic yeah. in her role. She's got all the spunk and all the fire that Lyra should have. She is her her facial expressions are on point. She reacts when she should be reacting to yeah. what people are saying, yeah. and she does it in in a, in a correct and empathetic way. It's mm. just a shame that the 
film didn't give us enough of a chance to connect with her as a character. More. Yeah. She's Probably too not. old, but she said she would be she would have been happy to be involved in the in the TV series, but she is uh, she's much too old now. Yeah. Be funny to think of her as like yeah, Mrs. Coulter. She, she has to be like 11 years. or 12 because I'm, I'm she hasn't gone through puberty yet. Yeah. And that's the point. But point she's about she was, to go. She was 13 when she was in The Golden Compass uh, in the film. Oh, she's also been in Skins. Oh, yeah! She's been in The um, the Secret of Moonacre, which is a really random film. It's, it is. It's based off a book as well. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember her in that. Yeah, and it's just a really weird... It's like, it's not dark at all, but it's just like, it's full of unicorns and lions and it's just weird. Mm. Um, she's, she was born in 1994, so she's now 25 years old. Yeah, so um, she was a bit old. She's a bit old. <laughs> a bit old. But then, you know, there is a, a Mortal Engines, so what do we know? Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, really true with Mortal Engines. They age the characters up. The, the characters are supposed to be, you know, 15. young teens, and they age them to be 30. 30. Oh. Yeah. Well, let's, let's wrap up. Yeah, because uh, well, I just said the movie. The movie is, is 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 pretty solid. Like it looks good. The CGI is good. The cinematography isn't bad. Yeah. some of the some of the dialogue is quite solid. Some of it's awkward, but some of it is is, is really quite good. Yeah, I'd just like to say that I hated the scene between her and Yofor Ragnarsson, who's renamed Ragnar or something. Ragnar or something. <laughs> yeah. um, that was awful. That was poorly written. Didn't like it. But I mean, I I think the movie's all right. I think if I'd never read the book, I would have enjoyed the movie. Yeah, and I was disappointed that. that there wasn't yeah, sure. a sequel. Yeah, if I hadn't just read it, I would have liked it a lot more. Especially because it yeah. is beautiful and the acting is good and the dialogue isn't horrible. Yeah. Even though the story is a bit weak, it's still a fascinating world. Mm. Just mm. the pacing is weird. Like editing is just so important. This is the segment where we do um, revise, remake, retire. Um, we do this every time. Revise being that we'd like to see them attempt the movie again but a closer adaptation to the heart of the story. Um, remake being we'd like to see the same movie, the same ideas, the same character, same story, and same plot, but updated with updated CGI and new actors, uh, or retire it. And this is an interesting... This is a, I this, have things to say. This is mm-hmm. a, an interesting, um, interesting example. Is, yes. Circumstance. An interesting circumstance because there is a remake coming out. Mm. It is as a TV series, a miniseries. Yeah. And it's being done by BBC and I have high hopes for it. So I do have high I'm hopes. going it's, with Revised because that's what's happening and I, <laughs> I have high hopes for it. Maybe we can send them this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, some fun facts with that. In 2015, BBC gave, you know, released the information that they would be remaking and it's actually supposed to be released in the US on HBO this year, 2019. And, and we've got... Oh, when I looked it up. There are some good people. You can actually already IMDB it. Do you also think revise? Yeah, definitely revise. Yeah. There's a lot of content that being made into a series. I think it's... Yeah, it's going to be a good... I hope that they do it well. Yeah. Yeah. They're also remaking The Last Airbender into a Netflix series, and I'm really concerned that that will be a tragic heartbreak but i hope this bbc bbc's made some great things so i hope i think when you have that because this had all that it tried to have all the breadth you know to cover everything and it didn't have the depth so if you have time to be able to convey the depth yeah then hopefully more of the story will come through yeah absolutely totally agree so my request is coming true because i was going to say revise even before the bbc did it but Obviously they are, so... Um, Daphne Keene, who starred in Logan, is playing Lyra Blackwa. 
Lin-Manuel Miranda is playing Lee Scorthby. Oh. James McAvoy is playing Lord Azrael. And Ruth Ah. Wilson is playing Marissa Coulter. Something really funny about the film, though, is that um, Yorick Burnison was played by Gandalf. Yeah, <laughs> I just fantastic. That was really funny. So solid. Uh, yeah, but thank you so much, Bex. It was really awesome having you on the podcast, and I think um, we should have more guests. Yeah, it was really nice, like having a third person. And you had you said really good things. Like I, I remember thinking a while ago, I was like, "Oh, Bex, come on." She said some really good things, and then you <laughs> did them today, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's right. That's why I wanted you here." Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Lots of fun. Did you enjoy? The process? Yeah, I did enjoy the process. Awesome. We didn't we didn't force her. No one made her do yeah. this. Voluntary. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Voluntary. Uh well, do we want to tell you about what we're doing next week? Well, we were supposed to this week actually be doing Stardust. Stardust. But we went out of order. So next week you get Stardust. Yes, Stardust. Which we By Neil Gaiman. We've already Yeah. By Neil Gaiman, and that will be great. And we will watch the film and then talk about it. Yes. And that'll be just you That's and me. what we do. Yeah. So, yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. See ya. Bye. 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 Ciao. Kia ora whanau. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Chapter One, Take Two, the podcast where we read the book, watch the film, and then discuss the adaptation. The next episode we will be releasing is Emma. We had a special guest on Emma Cusden, who is an improviser, stand-up comedian, writer, basically anything under the sun, who performs in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, Because there is so much good content coming out at the moment for adaptations in 2020, we are rotating between having an episode released for our fantasy season and then going back to releasing an episode for the 2020 season. So after next episode, Emma, we will be releasing Stardust as a continuation of the fantasy season. So stay tuned, like us on Facebook if you haven't already, we post there all the time, as well as on Instagram, um, post updates there too. Uh, Yeah, and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much. Um, We're having a great time doing the show with you, so we really appreciate all the support. We hope you're having fun. We hope you're picking up on our vibe of wanting to read more. Um, That's basically what we want to achieve from the podcast, is to get people excited about the books that we've read and then having discussions with them about that. So it's really awesome to see that happening. Uh, Until next time, this is Chapter 1, Take 2. Bye. I <laughs> know. Oh, <no. laughs>